Another place there was a bunch of construction workers and the rabbit ran past them and they didn't see it. But the dachshund came barking after the rabbit and the hawk was right over the dachshund because they're all going after the rabbit. And these lovely young construction men said, we'll save your dog lady, we'll save your dog lady. And they went running after the dachshund to try to stop her. And I had to explain to them, thank you. The stories are endless. After all these years, the stories are endless. And I'm sure anybody that's had a dachshund and a hawk have their stories and it's wonderful. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the Falconry Told Podcast. And before I fill you all in on what's going to be happening for a while here with the podcast, I need to start off by giving a quick shout out to our sponsors, as usual, being Bobby Yaga Crafts out of Poland. If you haven't had a chance to buy or check out any of his awesome handmade equipment yet, I highly recommend you do so. You all will continue to hear me brag about the great quality of his anklets and hybrid jesses and everything else that he makes. So if you uh, haven't had a chance to yet, it's well worth your time and money to do so. At least give it a shot. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Make some great stuff. So anyway, uh, his contact information can be found on our website at falconrytold.com or you can drop a message on Instagram at Bobby Goshawk is what his handle is there on Instagram. So Hit him up, put in an order, and I'm pretty sure you'll be stoked with the results. I also wanted to let you all know that Seth Roy of North Mountain Goshawks is going to be taking orders here for the next upcoming breeding season. So if you want to get on the list for a new goshawk, especially a parent rear goshawk, I highly recommend you hit him up at northmountaingoshawks.com. Fill out the information form or send him a message on Facebook and get on the list for a new goshawk if you're in the market for one. He produces some really nice really high quality game hawks so if you're in the market for a goshawk as your new hunting partner for this upcoming season hit them up see what your options are get on the list for the upcoming season and tell them we sent you okay so i'm going to fill you all in now on what's going to be kind of going on with the podcast over the next two or three months or so at least uh i have the good problem right now of having a lot of episodes that are waiting to be published and it's a good problem to have but I'm gonna switch things up a little bit since I have this good problem right now. I'm gonna kinda keep things alternating back and forth, mix things up a bit for you all. And there's gonna be some individual episodes scattered in here and there with uh, these couple of series that I'm gonna be doing. Um, One of them is gonna start next week and you all find out what kind of series that's going to be whenever I publish the first episode for it next week, but This episode is going to be the start of a new series that is going to feature dachshunds and falconry. And as many of you know, I run dachshunds now, and I got a chance to attend my first dachshund field trial back in, I believe it was April, and a large part of my motivation for going to that particular field trial was because I knew that our guest for this episode was also going to be there as a judge and I really wanted to meet her and pick her brain some and and get to know her a little bit. I've heard so many wonderful things about her and I'm very happy to say that all the things that I heard leading into my first encounter with her were 100% true and I'm so very happy that I got a chance to sit down with Teddy and get to know her some and um, she was an individual that I felt 
I related to really well, and I was just really impressed by how nice, open, and just kind of uh, upfront and honest she was with with everything. So anyway, after I, I sat down and recorded this episode with her, I got to talking to her, and she started kind of telling me other falconers who I should get in touch with who also run dachshunds, and I thought, you know, this is just the great opportunity to actually do a... Um, a first kind of series showcasing a particular breed that's that's used prominently in falconry. So this series is kind of developed from all that, and I owe this series kind of coming together to a lot of different falconers, in particular Casey Everett and a lot of the other falconers from the Jersey area, as well as Kevin Stoller, who bred one of uh, my dachshunds, uh, Horace, my dapple, and um, without them, there probably wouldn't have been near as much content in this series that I'm going to be able to bring you all. So you'll hear more about that as the series develops. But uh, anyway, I've got a lot of great stuff coming to you all soon between this series and the other one that I want to start next episode. So without any further ado, I'm just going to go ahead and launch into this conversation and let you all hear from Teddy Moritz. Here we go. All right. Well, like I said, Teddy, I uh, really appreciate your time. And as we were kind of talking before, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that I was able to get this whole trip worked out and be able to experience my first field trial. And thanks to Kevin's um, orchestrations, I guess, so to speak, and getting a chance to, to email you beforehand and see if you'd be willing to, to do an episode with me while we're both at the same place in the same time. I'm, I'm just really happy that the circumstances and, and timing worked out and um, it was great to get a chance to meet you in person. Thank you, John. I appreciate the opportunity and it's kind of humbling to be asked to <laughs> speak to an audience that I have uh, been in contact with for many years yeah. and offered my ideas for many years. And I'm glad you got to see the Dachshund field trials and how they're run and that your dogs did Incredibly in them. Well, I I appreciate you saying that. I um, you know, like I said, I <laughs> I came into this with zero expectations, <laughs> and it really does mean a lot to to hear you know the positive feedback from you today. And um, you know, like I said, I really had no idea what to expect coming into this for the most part. You know, people tell you things and. They do their best sometimes to kind of prep you and give you an idea of what you might run into or might expect and, and stuff. But um, but like I said, the uh, the the positive feedback and prompting and showing what I kind of needed to be doing and stuff, it really helped a lot. So I appreciate it. We do welcome new people to the sport, and we especially appreciate any falconers that bring their dachshunds. <clears throat> because once a dachshund is hunted, he can usually do pretty well at a field trial. But at the field trial, they earn ribbons, which the hawk doesn't eat. And <laughs> I enjoy the field trials because there are people who are friends, and I like to see other dogs run. And if I see a dog that can beat mine, I want to know more about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we it was kind of funny because when we were 
kind of getting a chance to finally talk a little bit and, you know, get to know each other a little bit as we were kind of, uh, you know, helping with the beating of the brush and stuff and seeing other people's dogs run. You know, it was it 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 was funny because you said something similar when we were talking and it and it it kind of reminded me of a lot of that um friendly competition that gets brought out amongst us falconers. And, yes. This is a competition where you can earn a ribbon. You can also pay money to enter it and uh, do a lot of traveling and pay for motels. And you can end up with points and titles and get totally involved. And that's one advantage of an AKC registered dachshund is that the whole AKC performance roster is available to dachshunds. So they are multi-purpose dogs if your family is interested in training the dog for obedience or agility or all the other titles they can earn, an AKC dachshund can do that for you. So it can become a family affair. And then in the wintertime, it becomes your dog as a hunting dog. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely seems like a world that can be very complex. And I know for me, kind of slightly overwhelming, <laughs> you know, yes. kind of to get into. Yes. So For first timers, yes. Well, so is falconry. If you go to a meet and you see all these people and they're going all different directions, but the birds are all in the truck and people take off and there you stand, it can be overwhelming if you don't have a guide, if you don't have someone that can help you. And at field trials, we try to welcome new people and explain the rules. And when we're in the field, show them how it's done. And then when your dog beats our dogs, then we're maybe not so friendly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like that. The one poor falconer in the group that goes home with the the empty game bag at the end of the day after everybody else has filled theirs. Human nature being what it is. Yes, we are a competitive (laughs) species regardless of what we do. Oh, yeah. And sometimes regardless of of how humble we try to act. and uh, Yes, that it didn't bother you in the least that my dumb dog didn't run the rabbit. (laughs) And like they say in all dog venues, he does it at home. (laughs) Very true. Yeah, it's just it's just funny because, you know, you were telling me the story of, uh, you know, you and Kevin kind of you know, bantering back and forth some during a, you know, competition. And, uh, you know, it, it. like I said, it just cracks me up because, you know, we all talk some degree of smack, even, yes. you know, as, as good natured or whatever you want to call well, it. Well, Kevin's it is, a but... young whippersnapper and I'm old grandma, so. <laughs> he can take it. I, I had to knock him down a notch well, and he know, took it very well. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, he needs to be knocked down a All a, young a men do. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, we all occasionally need those ego checks yes we do yeah yes we do especially in falconry because as we have discussed many times before and as we all know if you don't check it yourself sometimes then nature at times will check it for you yes yes you're dealing with a live animal either the hawk and the dog and they have their own personalities and their ways of doing things and sometimes they are more correct than we are. Mm-hmm. So we need to deal with how they process the hunt with how we would like the hunt to go. Mm-hmm. We want to go to the right. The dog says the rabbit went to the left. The hawk goes to the left. Well, you can call them all back if you mm-hmm. have to. Yeah. But they're going that direction for a reason yeah. because they know where the quarry is. We just have the car keys, and the sooner we learn that and humble ourselves to these expert animals, 
the better the hunt would be, in my opinion, and experience. Yeah, no, that's very true. And um, yeah, I mean, like I said, there's just, it seems like, you know, as you mentioned, there's there's so many considerations to, you know, kind of factor into our decision to, you know, either pick the right bird, pick the right dog, you know, do all these different things that ideally we really need to do as right as possible going into it, you know, or else there's just going to be so many other things that we can do just to be our own worst enemy sometimes otherwise, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. And like I said, I, I kind of pity the person in a way who decides to get into both of these realms at the same time. (laughs) I I can see, I mean, it's overwhelming, as you said, it's overwhelming enough, you know, getting into falconry initially, getting into some of this different, you know, some of these different dog competitions and stuff initially. I mean, if someone would want to get into falconry and these different competitions for dogs and stuff and train a dog all at the same time, I mean, and... uh, Over the years, I have found (laughs) that people do have a problem keeping track of the hawk and keeping track of the dog. It seems like a lot of falconers, and I'm not going to say men falconers, don't multitask. And they, I don't know where the dog is, what they tell me. Well, the dog is out hunting. If you want to watch the bird, and the dog can find you. It can track a three-pound rabbit. Believe me, it can find you. (laughs) So it's a hound. You need to let him go try to find his little three-pound rabbit and not be always calling him back and giving him directions and worrying where he is with the telemetry that's available in so many forms. If you put that on your dog, you have no reason to worry where is he. So keep track of the bird. It can be very complex. It can be very simple. And it depends on your personality. If you're a control freak and you have to have that bird right here and that dog right there, well, you're going to have a day out, but I don't know how successful you're going to be. They have to do what their talent tells them to do. So it can be frustrating, but it can also be very subtle and very predatory and very uh, effective. Yeah, and there's, as we were talking about earlier, there's really nothing that kind of comes close to or compares to seeing a dog work so closely in tandem with with the bird, with the know, bird of yeah, prey, yeah, with yes. the bird of prey, it's just it, there's just something about, you know, I mean, and I know a lot of people that are just not big fans of dogs, don't want to incorporate it at all. I mean, it's each their own. It's it's fine, but I have recently kind of felt like I've just now started to discover a little bit what I've what I feel like I've kind of been missing out on, you know. So it's been nice to, you know, be a little bit more involved in these different aspects of you know, of falconry and, and what you can kind of, you know, add to the table, you know, so to speak, it's been, it's been kind of nice seeing the the progression of it all and yes. getting involved with some of this stuff, because like I said, I'm such a noob when it comes into to the dog aspect of things. It's uh, like I said, you know, it's, it's been interesting. And it will get better the more you fly and run the dogs together. Um, you have to work them together. You have to work out the kinks and eventually it'll all come together and you will see you will see more catches than if you're in the briar patch trying to bull your way through it if you stand on the outside let that little dog go in there leave the bird up in the tree 
and uh, wait for it to happen. Now, I fly a Harris or a Treehawk, but the guys with goshawks are doing fine with dachshunds also. Once everybody learns their place, it all comes together. There's a symmetry to it that you get to see predation in nature and be a part of it. And I never tire of it. I've been doing it a long time, and I never get tired of it. I can't wait for the new season. <laughs> yeah, and as far as, like, your involvement with, um, like, some of the dog trials and the field trials aspect of things and, and being a judge for, for those types of things and kind of being involved in that avenue of, um, you know, the dachshund world and thing. I mean, how long have you been doing the, the judging and stuff for these competitions? De depending on the competitions, uh, the dachshund field trials since about 1982 – but we also had a club for go-to-ground work and go-to-ground trials. I became a judge for that in the early 70s. And then in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, I became a German Richter. We have a North American Teckle Club, Teckle being another name for Dachshund. And for those of you who out there think you have something better because you have a Teckle and not a Dachshund, you have a Dachshund. <laughs> it's like a groundhog and a woodchuck. They are exactly the same, but there is a push to call the real hunting Dachshund a Teckle. Uh, I have the small Dachshunds, and in German they are called a Kaninchen and a Zwerg, Teckle. All right, but the German Dachshund Club has a newsletter, and it's called Der Dachshund. So these are all Dachshunds. They come in three sizes, three coats, and they all hunt if you get the right one. So the field trials are one way just to have a little fun off-season. Uh, the North American Teckle Club tries to bring the European way of testing uh, Dachshunds for what they were supposed to do. There's a big deal about blood tracking, which they've brought to America. If you shoot a deer, a bear, a uh, wild pig, and it's bleeding, and you can train a dachshund to track that. So it's conservation. We also have water tests, uh, obedience tests with that North American Tackle Club. And I judge the go-to-ground in, uh, in the real world, natural work underground, and also American Working Terrier Association does the same thing. We have den trials that are artificial, and we have uh, hunting where I can watch your dog work underground against formidable quarry. So there's a whole world to dachshunds, and if you just use it for rabbits, that's fine. If you use it for treeing squirrels, flushing pheasants, it's a happy dachshund. But if you want to expand your horizons, there's a great deal out there you can do with a little rascal. It seems like it, yes. and I'm just now kind of discovering just how in-depth that world is. It's like I said, it's it's definitely kind of overwhelming, you know, whenever you, you start to kind of delve into these different worlds. But as you said, so was getting into falconry and everything else. We we make our way where there's a will, there's a way, you know, as yes. they say. There's also a relative. Yeah, <laughs> there is. That is very true. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like I said, it's like it, it, it I I can't really describe, you know, kind of how I thought this would go today. You know, I mean, there there's only so much that people can tell you as as we said before that will kind of prepare you to see, you know, certain things or what to expect. 
but um i would say it's about half and half what i expected you know today as far as the um the type of i don't know the type of people and you know the all that kind of stuff i i kind of expected as much but the the how to or the um I guess how things were done in the middle of the trials and stuff. I really wasn't expecting things to kind of go how they do as far as it all being kind of like really natural. You know, I thought it was more, you know, kind of more um, planted or, you know, planned like pre-planned and stuff. So that was, I don't know why I didn't expect that, but it was really neat to see how uh, they or managed to get like these, different um you know fields and stuff and these different clubs to allow them to have these trials on i know we were talking earlier man if we could only have like 10 or 15 minutes even you know just to, <laughs> just to run our dogs and, and hawk just for 15 minutes it, it seems like yeah it'd be a lot of fun <laughs> right no the beagle clubs do not appreciate birds of prey <laughs> in any way shape or form uh, and they go particularly this club the tri-county club out here in Carrolltown, the people that run it do an exceptional job of keeping the rabbits, keeping the habitat perfect, and welcoming a breed besides a beagle. Beagles are traditional rabbit dogs, and some people use them for hawking, and they're very happy with them. And some people use other breeds, uh, but we are allowed to bring dachshunds and run them at these field trials. So it's an avenue to get the dog off the couch and to see that he really is a little predator. Yeah. As a matter of fact, one beagle uh, fellow told me, he said, your dogs hunt like predators. Well, yes, the beagles are running the scent, and I'm sure they're after the rabbit in their minds, but they stick so close to the scent. Our dogs tend to be hard chargers, and they do have predation on their minds. Yeah, and it, sometimes it's a very easy thing to forget that they are indeed predators. Yeah. Yes, that's and, why they have that ivory. Yep, exactly. But, well, I mean, like I said, I know you've been doing all this for, for such a long time, but, I mean, was there a time whenever you were initially getting into falconry? Like, how much of a gap was there between getting into falconry, getting into dogs, or were you always combining the two of them ever since you got your start into falconry? My father was a coon hunter, fox hunter, beagler. And as a child, I was raised with hounds and came to appreciate hounds. And I vaguely recall as an early teenager, I saw someone carrying macaws on their arm. And I think I am got my father's pragmatic attitude, what good is that? And that triggered a exploration of falconry that oh carry something on your arm that can do something and a falconry so in 1963 i became interested in birds of prey and i went to the library and there's lots of bird books but no real falconry books where my library was in north jersey so i explored around and asked people about falconry and got no response and not many books. Now, remember, it's before the internet, so your library was your source of books. And in 1966, for whatever reason, an immature red tail landed in our backyard. We lived at the end of a dead end, 
and he fluttered down and was hanging around the backyard, and my father and my brother helped me catch it. Now, I know now that the bird was probably quite ill, but he was quite hungry, and I took him up, and I had read enough to know to put Jess's on him, and my father fixed a part in the garage, the barn, for him, and uh, he seemed very tame, and he was, and we got along fine till I tried to reduce his weight, and one morning he was dead. So it was my first introduction to, oh man, I have a hawk and I've got it on my fist, and now I don't have a hawk. But my interest in falconry expanded from there. But <clears throat> I found no kindred spirits. I eventually did learn that there were fa falconers around, but it wasn't legal. And they certainly weren't going to talk to a teenage girl. <clears throat> All right. So it was very, very difficult to find any information on falconry. I, I got a copy of B.B. and Webster's book, finally, and that was an eye-opener. And life went on through high school and uh, college. And I got an I.S. Redtail during college, and I can recommend that you never you can go to college, but don't t get an iris red tail. <laughs> she was a great learning experience. When we first got her, she had maggots coming out her ears, and that's an experience to uh, pull those out. And she grew up beautifully, and she was my bird, and I did fly her, and uh, she would not tolerate people in the field or eventually around where we lived, and my brother has the scars to prove it. So she went to somebody else, and I tried a great horned owl. His name was Venom, and it fit him. He was not a particularly bright or cooperative bird, so he went elsewhere also. When I graduated college, I worked in a zoo, and the curator was good enough, the director was good enough to let me uh, Jess up and fly on a creance, a short-tailed hawk, and a crane hawk, and a broadwing. So they all teach you something. Every bird teaches you something. So in the meantime, in the early 80s, I met Floyd Presley in Western Maryland, and he sort of became my father in falconry because it wasn't yet legal in New Jersey, and Floyd taught me a great deal about Harris's hawks. And what appealed to me mainly was that they would work with dogs and willingly work with dogs. Coming from a hound background, I liked that idea. So my husband and I started an organization called New Jersey Raptor Association, and we would hold meetings at the environmental center where we worked at the time. And a lot of people that came had interest in birds of prey in various avenues. There were rehabilitators, banders. Some of the guys hanging around the back were falconers with their mouths shut. <laughs> uh, and eventually, we got to know them better. We became bird banders. We banded up on the Kittatinny Ridge and banded all kinds of birds of prey. And that taught us a great deal. And we got, I got my rehabilitator's license. And we would take in mainly birds of prey. And we had a nurse out in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Tom Mutchler, 
he would operate on the birds for us. So we would drive out there, and he taught us a great deal about bird care, how to set a wing, uh, amazing things. He was a great rehabber. And we always accused him that since he was a nurse at a hospital, that his birds always had parts to eat, <laughs> which he vigorously denied. <laughs> so between all that, the falconry always seemed to blossom, and I wanted that more than anything else. And with Floyd Presley's help, I got uh, my first Harris's hawk, and I really haven't looked back because they work so well with the dogs, most of them. It's the same with any species. You know, they'll do what they do, and you have to either work it out or not. But I have had incredibly wonderful predatory experiences to watch the hawk and the dogs. I did start out with terriers, and they were good brush busters. They were a little hard on my kids, but sometimes the kids deserve to be bitten. Uh, but the, the terriers would bump a rabbit, and I was used to a dog that bumps a rabbit and follows the scent line, and the terriers would just keep running around barking. So one day I got a little smooth-haired dachshund from the feed dealer where I bought our feed for chickens and ducks, and the dog was on a chain. And I asked the feed store owner, why are you keeping that little dog on a chain? And he said, well, she was owned by an elderly couple, who bred her to a toy poodle every time she came in heat so they could tell, sell uh, tiny, cute puppies outside the supermarket. And one of the elderly owners died, and they sold the dog to the feed store owner. So he put a chain on her and tied her to a shed. And he said, but that darn dog, when I put the food pan down, she backs up on the chain until the chickens come to eat the feed, and then she charges out and kills the chickens. Well, I have to admit the little light went on in my brain and said, oh, that's a predatory little dog. So I bought my first dachshund for AKC registered for all of $150 and went <laughs> home, kept her with my terriers and my other dogs. First time out, we were out about an hour and she disappeared. So I walked back to the truck and she was sitting by the truck and I thought, oh boy, I've got a winner here. <laughs> So I messed with her for another week or so, and I took her out again. And once again, about an hour later, she's gone. So we start back to the truck, and one of my other dogs indicated a hole. And I listened, and that little dog was down there barking at a groundhog. So her career went forward. She had very uh, thin, smooth coat. So I bred her to a wire hair dachshund, which was an interesting experience because I had to call show people for a wire-haired dachshund because John Q. Public doesn't know there are wire-haired dachshunds. And I finally found a woman that would breed to my little dog. The other breeders would say, no, you're the one that puts them in holes. And I thought, no, you never put a dachshund in a hole. They go in or they don't. So I started with wire hairs and smooths, but I found that I could not consistently breed good wire hair coats. Some of them would come out linty and curly, and for hunting, they were worse than a smooth hair because the linty coat held the water in. And in order to get a good coat, you had to breed to a good-coated dog, and you also have to strip the dead hair out of a wire hair dachshund twice a year. And the falconers didn't want to be bothered with that. 
So eventually at a field trial out in Ohio, I saw a wild and crazy long hair miniature. And I got a hold of her. I think that was the early 90s. And from then on, I stuck with the long hairs because they can take the cold weather. And yes, they get burrs in their coats, but pseudospaniels. And as I wrote in the one book, that's why God made scissors. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Yeah, it's uh, it really is not very fun. I usually, um, I know when I come home after uh, hunting, I always tell my wife how much the dogs missed her. And <laughs> I usually then hand them over and uh, then run. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and usually, yeah, she usually finds me and hands them right back and says, you take care of this. You did this, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's not it's not fun getting all that stuff out of that coat. There, there are sprays you can use that uh, horse spray that the burrs will slide out. You can take a plier and break the burr, uh, burr and then comb it out. But it's also kind of, oh, it's like putting fuel in the lawnmower before you use it again. You know, it's taking care of your partner there. And the dogs, of course, as long as you don't pull too hard, they enjoy getting cleaned up, get the burrs out of themselves. Oh, but if that's the worst thing, what they give us without any hesitation is they just want to hunt. And I think my greatest reward is being able to share that joy when I sell a puppy and it becomes a real hunter for a falconer and they say, I wish I'd done this years ago. Uh, you know, that's my greatest pleasure is to let other people see how well it works. And it doesn't work for everybody. Not everybody is a dog person. Not every dog is a number one. And there are there are times, and some birds don't tolerate a dog, and some do. But when it does come together, it's magic, in my opinion. And I never get tired of it. For sure. Yeah, and I agree. Like I said, having seen it work consistently, especially over this last season or two, with not just, you know, these dogs that I've, you know, tried to get going myself, but also my my friend's dogs. And, you know, it's, it really is interesting just how much it can enhance your falconry. And I mean, so what kind of was the main reason you decided to start breeding your own lines and decided to kind of have this, I don't know, self-appointed undertaking, I guess. I mean, was it more... Um, for lack of better terms, was it more like selfish reasons? Like, did you want to just start developing your own uh, hunting lines so that you would always kind of, you know, have uh, dogs to work with? Or was it more because you did want other people to kind of start taking up the mantle and, and seeing like the breed's value? What was kind of the motivation? It's really a, a combination because when I started taking on apprentices, and they would come out with me with the Harris Hawk, and they'd watch the dachshunds. And most people are very skeptical of these little foo-foo dogs <laughs> until they see them work. And then they would say, well, I'd like to get one of those. Well, I could send them to a pet breeder or a show breeder, but I couldn't say that that dachshund was going to be uh, as good. Even though most dachshunds will hunt, you can bring it out in them. And I felt, well, if I bred them, and started them a little bit, 
then these people could more easily share this experience. And I guess just uh, bottom line, I like to produce puppies and see how they turn out. It's a great thrill to me to watch these puppies come on and say, oh, that one's going to be great, and that one's a dumb head. And, uh, <laughs> but to, again, I think I get so much out of supplying them to other people. And it's not to make money because you don't make money doing that. If you want to make money, you get a golden retriever and make Labradoodle puppies, <laughs> 10 at a time. Dachshund has maybe two to four puppies, and the time it takes to raise them and get their shots and worm them and train them a little bit, there really is not money in it. That's not my goal whatsoever. I charge money for my dogs because I want people to take care of them, all right, that they have something of value. Uh, and the greatest percentage of time it works out. It's also heartbreaking to me when uh, a hunting dog is lost, a dachshund is lost. I, I don't blame people much if it's a hunting accident because anytime you turn a bird or a dog loose in the woods, things can happen. What I resent is uh, husbandry, poor husbandry, that you didn't have a tight enough fence or a tall enough fence and the coyote jumped over and stole your dog or the dog dug out because there was a squirrel down the road and he got run over. You need to contain these dogs properly. And I know things happen if the kid leaves the gate to the swimming pool open and the dog drowns. Well, sorry, you know, and uh, I'll sell you another one when you fix the gate or the kid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. There's a lot of heartbreak in uh, putting dogs with other people and hoping they take care of them and hunt them. Uh, I've put a number out, and people never figured out how to hunt them, and they became pets for 15, 17 years. And that's the owner's option. Yeah, I like I said, there's I, I openly admit that there've been times you know, with, with my visuals in particular and stuff that I didn't feel like, you know, th that I was doing anywhere near as much justice as I could, you know, as a dog owner and as a, as a hunter and, and everything else. And I, I, I swore that if I was ever going to try another breed that I would, I would do my best to do it, you know, what in my mind, you know, I correct that, you know, and, and do my best with it. So, you know, like I said, I, after, reevaluating things and, and kind of, um, I don't know, kind of having another retrospective, so to speak, I guess, of my own falconry and what I wanted to, to do, you know, I'm glad that I decided on this, on this breed because I, like I said, as we were talking before, one of the most rewarding things that I've kind of experienced in my personal falconry so far is seeing the evolution of an insecure, you know, dog that lacks confidence and just really won't leave you in the field to seeing the progression of them coming completely out of their shell into their own. And then just seeing how they just turn on. And then you've got the opposite problem at the end of the season. Now they don't want to quit. You know, I mean, seeing that evolution has been super rewarding. So, I mean, I mean, was it kind of a similar type thing for you? Like whenever you initially started dealing with this breed in particular, I mean, was it, did you have similar experiences that made you, you know, really just want to, like I said, just continue on with 
this breed in, in particular? I guess I should ask, was there a particular experience that you had with a particular dachshund that made you be like, okay, this is my breed from here on out. Like this is the, the breed that I want to. Probably my have. first long hair. Yeah. Uh, she came from a mom and pop breeder out in Kansas and she taught me a great deal about dachshunds and humbled me a great deal because she knew more about the game, the animal we were hunting, than I ever could. If I thought the rabbit went left and she went right, she was correct. All right. And she was, uh, she was one of those that was pretty much a self-hunter. And if I wanted to come, that was fine. And if I didn't keep up, well, that was my loss. But she was an incredible game finder. And, you know, she treed squirrels. And my main quarry at the time is rabbits. So she would hunt up rabbits like nobody's business. She would open on the track, bark on the track, and circle the rabbit. And the hawk eventually would catch. And if there's one day that stands out, <clears throat> the uh, hawk caught six rabbits and the dogs got three. So it became a burden to get back to the truck, literally. <laughs> However, that little red dachshund, Steffi, was not finished. And when I put the game in the truck and the bird was with me and the other dogs and Steffi was not. And I thought, oh, and I could hear her barking way far away from my car where we had just come from and barking loudly and aggressively. So I knew at that time she had something in a hole and she was not going to leave it. So I carry a shovel and I walked all the way back up there to Steffi and she had a great big raccoon in a hole. And by <laughs> gar, she wanted me to do something about that. So she was a dog that could make your adrenaline rush because she would get into game. Um, where we lived, she used to run the coyotes up over the mountain. And, <laughs> and to prove that she was meant to be my dog, here's a story for you. We lived in the Ramapo Mountains in North Jersey. And it's all up and down, big rocks, logs. And one day I had several dogs out, including Steffi, and uh, they took up off over the mountain, all right? And all the other dogs came back, and Steffi did not. And I'd only had her about a month, so I didn't know her that well. And she did not, at the time, have an ID collar, much, which was my fault. So all the dogs came back, and Steffi didn't come back. So I waited, and then I went home. And of course, living in the mountains, you can't exactly drive around the block because it's mountains everywhere. So I called the police in the two towns because there was a town on either side of the mountain and the local veterinarians. And I, I worried and I went to the SPCA shelter down in town and told them who I had lost. She had a tattoo inside her thigh. Uh, she's a little red dachshund. And... A week later, I, I never heard from her, never saw her, had no idea where she was, and I didn't want to tell the people where I got her that, you know, the first dachshund I got I had just lost from, from them. And about a week later, I got a call from the shelter that we have your dog, we have your dachshund. 
and I drove down there very quickly. Now, part of the explanation of this story is when you come down off our mountain, you have the Ramapo River, which is a real river, and the next road puts on Route 202, which is a, which is a highway, on into the town of Oakland, all right? So I went to the shelter, and there she was. She was a little rough-looking, but pretty glad to see me, but, you know, Steffi was happy and whatever was going on, and I asked how she got to the shelter. And they said there was a woman, uh, a single mother, at a park with her daughter. And Steffi was in the park, kind of looking around. And they picked her up. She allowed herself to be picked up, which was unusual because she didn't ever like that. <laughs> and they took her home. And they were going to keep her. And the mother, bless her heart, said, no, this must belong to somebody around here, around the park. So they put a leash on Steffi, and they walked her around their neighborhood. And as they were walking, Steffi suddenly made a right turn up a couple of steps to a house. So they assumed that's where she lived. So they banged on the door, and the woman came to the door, and they gave her the story. And the woman says, I work for the SPCA shelter. Now... What you have to say <laughs> it was meant to happen, that Steffi was meant to be mine. I have no explanation for that. There were houses all along that road. And why Steffi went up that woman's front step, I don't know. But things like that happen, and I don't need an explanation. I know Steffi was my first long hair and uh, became the mother, the foundation of this long hair line. And it gives me a thrill to see in the puppies the ancestors now off all these generations, and to be able to put these puppies out and have other people breed them and succeed in breeding them and putting them, you know, to share the joy, to share that joy. Yeah, I can I can imagine how rewarding that would be. I mean, just knowing that a huge percentage of the dachshunds that are being used in falconry right now in, in particular came you know, from a lot of your, your lines. And, you know, I mean, it, it, facts are facts. I mean, a lot of people credit you for that. I mean, they credit you for being a, a, a huge reason why they're mainly used in, in falconry. And, you know, it seems like that would just be, like I said, not, not to <laughs> use it as like an ego stroker or anything by, by any stretch of the imagination. But I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's probably very rewarding to it know. Is. It's incredibly rewarding when it works. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, that had to be a, a ton of work. Yes. If you've ever raised a litter of puppies, you know what the work is involved. If you do it right and, um, and then finding the correct homes and people are not only, uh, grateful to have the dogs, but there are people that will call and they may not be as honest as you would like them to be about what they're really going to do with the dog. Uh, one fellow told me he was getting into falconry. It was the most fascinating thing, but he wanted to get the dog first. And turns out he just wanted the dog. And he gave me a song and dance and I believed him that he was going to be a falconer and he never did, but they had a nice pet dog for 10, 12 years. I can't, I can sell a man a dog. I can't make him hunt it. All right. And there are heartbreaks too, but 
there are a lot more success stories, and it is rewarding. Um, I won't say ego because it is a dachshund, and you can you can take many dachshunds. And I sold a, a well-bred dachshund to a guy in Louisiana. He decided he wanted to breed it, but again, he didn't want to go travel to take the dog to be bred or put any money into it. So he went down the road and he bought a pet dachshund from some what they call backyard breeders. And it was a better dog than mine. And fine, good for him. Great. I'm happy for him. It's a dachshund. They aren't all world beaters. Uh, I, I line breed. I try to breed for certain characteristics. But there are, I've seen dachshunds at field trials that can whip my butts uh, on my dogs, and they've never done anything except sit on the couch. First thing, they're a dachshund, but I feel by line breeding and putting that desire for hunting and in, and enhancing it, and also breeding for a body type that is not a show type. I like a taller dog with very narrow chest, narrow shoulders, and a very shallow chest because they need to be athletic to get over logs and rocks and under things, kind of like a mini fox, okay? And they need the brain and the nose to keep going, that determination and bravery. And uh, the show dachshunds tend to be short-legged, big-chested, and that's their sport. And my sport is based more on the European original shape of the dachshund. The Germans developed the miniature dachshunds to go in holes and chase rabbits out. I call them German-engineered rabbit-hunting machines because when they learn that they can hunt rabbits or any small game, they are uh, one fellow, what did he call it, murder hounds. <laughs> <laughs> if they were any bigger, we'd all be in trouble. But they are... They are personalities, and yes, it is um, very rewarding, uh, and I am actually surprised and humbled by how well they've done, and I'm happy for the people, and I'm always here to answer questions, you know, if there's a problem or a training, and that's why I've written some articles here and there, uh, how to start a puppy, and basically it's exposure to game just like a young hawk. Socialize the dog, expose it to game make it behave a little bit, uh, you know, since the invention of e-collars. <laughs> there's been a lot better behaved dogs, and I'm all for that. I believe in corporal punishment when it's necessary. You can ask my children. <laughs> so uh, thank you. Yes, it's it sort of took me by surprise, but the more people that got them, the more people that wanted them. And now there are other people breeding them and breeding good lines and well, that's that's what you kind of probably wanted to happen, though, right? Yes. I mean, yes. because I mean, we're all not going to live forever, right? I'm not going to be around all that. You know, I'm in good health now. I'm 75, and I'm not quitting breeding and hawking. But the next generation has got to, I hope, keep these lines going to share that joy with their next generation. Matter of fact, my first uh, apprentices, Phil and Paul Aaliyah up in Jersey, first thing I told them was, uh, I'm going to sell you a dachshund. <laughs> 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 and they haven't looked back, bless their hearts. They were. Yeah, it's uh, the, the uh, 
kind of built in prerequisite. You know, it's like, well, I'll, I'll sponsor you, but, but you know, yeah. <laughs> right, right. But they, they're wonderful young men and, uh, They've done great with the dachshunds and with the hawks they fly. And I give them a lot of credit for not only working, but having children and wives and still flying birds. Uh, that's uh, heartwarming, too, and still having the dachshunds. And there's many other success stories. I had a man call last week. I sold him a dog in 1997, and I sold him one in 99. And uh, he's still a falconer, but now he flies a peregrine at winged quarry, he doesn't need a dachshund, but his apprentice needs a dachshund because he's got a red tail. And, uh, you know, it's all those years later that they come back. I've had people call. He said, I bought a dog from you 10 years ago and I want another one. <laughs> I said, well, how was it? Was it a good, oh, best dog I ever had. You got any? <laughs> and now with the internet and the cell phones, I can keep closer track. I don't bug people about their dogs. If you want to tell me about it, fine. If you have a problem or things are good, but I'm not going to call you up every week and say, have you done any drags? Or you get it out? No, I don't nag you. It's your dog. Do what you want with it. I put the genetics in it. You have to do the rest. Yeah. I mean, I, there, there has to be a, I don't know, for lack of better terms, a disconnect to some degree. You know, it's like you want... You want to know that your that your pups are doing well with other people, but there has to be, you know, some distance after after yes, they leave. They need you know? to stand on their own feet. You can't. Yeah, you know, it's like you said. You can't control what other people do, mm -hmm. and you're just going to drive yourself nuts if you sit there and try and monitor. Could you imagine how how crazy you'd probably be if you tried to monitor how every single pup that no. you ever produced? Right, <laughs> right. I wonder about some of the pups sometimes, and um, but I let it go. You know. Uh, I have lost dogs uh, in hunting, and I'm at the point where if something happens to that dog, my first thought is, what am I going to get to replace it? I cry. I bury them. I'm a basket case. But then I think about a puppy and move on, move on. And I also tell people, and I don't get a lot of reaction, good reaction from this, is don't marry your dog. If that dog is not hunting like you need it to hunt, whether it's your fault or the genetics fault, don't keep it. Don't make it a pet for the next 18 years. Why put money into a dog that isn't doing what you need it to do? Yes, they're cute and they'll sit on your lap and lick your face, but you can give it to Aunt Matilda and it'll do the same thing for her. In my dealing with people, I tell them, if the dog doesn't work out for you, I will take the dog back and I will either give you another puppy or I will take the dog back and refund your purchase price. I, I really don't want the dogs either ignored, tied out to a shed, or put in a, in a rescue situation. They're my dogs forever. All right. I took back a three-year-old female because the guy's job took him yonder. He had already traveled extensively for his job and hunted the dog across the United States. The business overwhelmed him. His father was going to keep the dog in the kennel. I said, I'll take her back. Well, she was one of the driven ones that if I wanted to go hunting with her, that was fine, but otherwise have a nice day. And she gave me uh, some scary moments where she is or what she's doing, but we, uh, we survived it together. She was a great little dog. Uh, one day in the snow, she that we were hunting, we caught a rabbit, 
the sun came out, the snow was deep and melting. So instead of coming with me back through the woods, she apparently came out to a small road and was going to walk the road back. Smart, you know. Well, there were people in a BMW who, quote, unquote, rescued her because there's this little dog and she was full of snow and her tail had got caught in briars. So when she wagged her tail, it covered the snow and her sides were covered with blood because the tail was bleeding. So they opened the trunk of their Mercedes and they took out a beautiful plaid Scottish wool blanket and wrapped her in it. And they heard me calling and they came around and the woman was huddling this miscreant dachshund who looked very smug <laughs> and wagging her tail at me. Uh, I said, oh, is this your little dog? Do you want us to take you to the veterinarian? I think she's bloody. She's been hit. And I knew what was going on and that dog knew what was going on. So Risa gave me uh, a few reasons to explain to people, no, she's my dog and she's fine and thank you. Are you sure? And I appreciate people caring enough. Um, one time when I dropped the dogs behind an industrial park, like a lot of us do, I had a couple of women run out and say, you can't dump dogs here. That's not fair. That's cruel. So once again, we had a little discussion about what I was doing. Another place, there was a bunch of construction workers, and the rabbit ran past them, and they didn't see it. But the dachshund came barking after the rabbit, and the hawk was right over the dachshund because they're all going after the rabbit. And these lovely young construction men said, we'll save your dog, lady. We'll save your dog, lady. <laughs> and they went running after the dachshund to try to stop her. And I had to explain to them, thank you. The stories are endless. After all these years, the stories are endless. And I'm sure anybody that's had a dachshund and a hawk have their stories. And it's wonderful. Well, and definitely appreciate you sharing just a handful of them with us today. I mean, I know we could go on for yes. forever <laughs> and ever, but I know I've got to get you back soon so that you can do some more judging and whatnot. Yes. But uh, before we do end this, though, I want to ask you two last questions. And the first would be, I know that you've put so much time, effort, and energy into your lines, you know, your, your falconry and everything else. Is, is there anything, especially with the, you know, the breeding of the dogs and, or anything that if you, you know, had hindsight, of course, and were able to, to change anything or anything that you discovered a long time that, you know, thought maybe, well, if I would have just maybe done that sooner or, you know, I would have had better success doing this or anything. Was there, would there be anything that you would change um, sooner or anything with anything that you've done previously? Perhaps. What I have learned with breeding the dogs is to set a goal. I want a dog with leg, a narrow chest, and plenty of drive. And any dog that falls outside that goal, don't keep it to breed it. You know, sell it to a hunter, and, and that's great. Uh, because the body shape is hard to get and maintain. So I wish sooner that I had um, seen that the taller, narrower dogs were going to be more successful. I was just so thrilled that the dachshunds would hunt as well as they did. 
and I used everything. But over the years, I see that the lighter framed, more athletic ones are going to um, be more successful in the field. And that's almost splitting hairs. I mean, I'm at a point where I know my puppies will hunt. Now I weed them down to the body shape that I'm aiming for. Because uh, one of the probably second best dogs I ever had, uh, her sire was a show dog that I liked the feel of. He had leg, he was narrow. He'd never seen a rabbit in his life. And uh, I bred him, uh, the show breeder let me breed to him. And I bred her to that crazy Steffi dog. And the bitch I got out of it, Gavia, she was my ideal. And I tried to stick with that. It doesn't always work. But like a hawk, you have a goal in mind that it, it want to handle this way, hunt this quarry, you know, the quarry you have. And if the bird doesn't work out, either let it go or trade it off. But don't, you know, don't keep something that isn't what you desire. And I'm very glad I found that little dachshund tied to a shed because that certainly changed my falconry and, and my life. And I have to say, God bless my husband for putting up with me and my children. My husband is my wind, the wind beneath my wings. Well, like I said, I think that's very well said. And yeah, like I said, I, if we didn't have people in our lives that didn't put up with <laughs> with our shenanigans, yes. Lord knows where we would be, yes. you know, for sure. But And then the one last thing that I want to ask you, of course, is if you'd be willing to share, you know, any particular piece of advice, sentiment or whatever for any current or future, you know, falconers that either are, you know, thinking about getting into the sport, currently in the sport, whatever the, the situation may be. You know, if there's a particular thing that you think that they, you know, should really take into consideration or, you know, whatever that, anything. When you get involved in taking care of an alive, a live animal, a live animal you want to use for something, you really should give it the best care that you can. Uh, a hawk can survive in many situations, captive situations, and so can a dog. You can chain it out to the garage or you can let it sleep in bed with you, either one. But you need to do right by it as far as getting it out and hunting it. Not just say, look, I have this and I have that. And I get out, you know, once a week. You aren't really doing right by the animal to bring out what it's capable of. And don't get into the sport if you don't have the time to do it right. And really uh, family support if you can. Um, we all know that, and you may not talk to my husband or children. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they are living creatures, and they deserve care, and you'll get more out of them with proper care. Awesome. Well, like I said, I, I don't think we could probably end on a better note than that. I Like I said, thank you so much for agreeing to you know, do this with me today and take time out of uh, what is, you know, I'm sure going to end up being a, a somewhat chaotic weekend. I mean, I, I know my week has already been chaotic enough as it <laughs> is. And 
I, I always appreciate anybody's time that's willing to to join us on well, this. Well, thank so. you for the opportunity. I'm flattered yeah. that you would ask me, and I'm glad we had the time to do this. And I'm happy you got good dachshunds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am too, and and like I said, I'm I'm very happy to hear that. You know, uh, like I said, being so new and all this. I mean, we we're lucky whenever we end up with people who are good mentors and people that can steer you in the right direction and stuff. And you know, I'm I'm happy to have gotten a chance to meet someone such as yourself who has been <laughs> dealing with all this way longer than I have, yeah, obviously. Yeah, before you've been born, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like I said, I, I thank you again so much for all your help today. And um, like I said, I guess we'll head back and, uh, and see some more dogs run. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Teddy. <laughs>